This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Morning. Hey, today we remember. Today's one of those uniquely special days in the life of this country where we take stock of not only who we are, but where we came from and for how we got here. And we will remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, those who paid with their lives that our lives could be as free as we are today, free to gather in this place, free to be uh, the citizens of this country. And so we are thankful. And for some of you as families, that may be a little more fresh than for others. And if you need some space to talk about that, to walk through loss that maybe you've experienced in your own family, then our staff is here for you, and we would cherish that opportunity to talk with you and pray with you. So please know that. Today is also Pentecost Sunday, a Sunday that we recognize when God launched his church. And that will really be the focus of our Sunday together, our time together today. So let me just say again, welcome in. Whether you're here as in-person family or you're here as our online family, we are so thankful that we get to gather in this space for this reason today. If you're new with us, uh, you'll hear about some next steps you can take at the end of this service. If you're regularly with us, we are uh, just thankful that you're already taking those steps to be here as a part of our Grace Collective family. Well, family, we made it. This is, this is the last message of a very long message series that has been all about Jesus for the last six weeks, or six months, all about Jesus, and it is uh, finally the final Sunday of the series. And it's called the Jesus Project, and we had two goals. Two goals that we stepped into this message series uh, with. Number one, if you're already a follower of Jesus, that you would find yourself in a better, deeper, more surrendered, more real life, outward living relationship with Jesus than you've ever been in your life. Or number two, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to, uh, to understand that he really does love you, he died for you, and that you get to discover he has a plan for your life that is way better than any plan you have for your life. Like Jesus, Jesus gives you eternal life, but he also gives you life right here, right now. And so we wanted you to discover that as we walk through these, these six months as well. And we've come to the end of it today. Um, some of you might be thinking, woohoo, that's great. But I know it's on most of your minds, and I want to answer that. That, that question. I'm going to answer that question because I know this is one of those things that probably keeps you up at night. You probably can't even go to sleep because you're thinking about this so often. What's next? What's he going to preach next week? I know you. I know this bothers you. So let me tell you what's coming up next. Uh, starting next week is our brand new summer series called the, This is the Gospel. It's, it's like the summer of the gospel. We're going to talk about like everything we've already talked about in these six months. Like Now we've got it. Now we've learned about who Jesus is and maybe we're making decisions about Jesus. But, but what do those look like? And what do I do with that? Where do I go from here? What are my next steps? And that's what this summer is going to be about how you and I, now that we've gotten it, how do we give it? Now that we've received it, how do we share it? How do we take the gospel or the good news of Jesus out into the world? And, and that all begins uh, next week. But I got I to give you a fair warning. You might want to plan a couple extra weeks of vacation this summer. You, you, you might, that doesn't, that's not hard to get to over to you, right? Well, you, if you've got, oh, that's fine, I'm, I'm talking to people online now, because you're at your camps, we don't have a camp to go to, 
on Memorial Day to open up Memorial Day weekend. So, like, hey, welcome to everybody who doesn't have a camp, right? Um, but all of you online who have camps, you're opening up this weekend. You might want to go to your camps more often, more than you planned on this summer. Here's why. Some of these messages in this next series, you're not going to like them because they're going to challenge you and they're going to convict you and you just might find it easier to stay away. You guys might want to opt out. But if you're in, I can guarantee you they're going to change you and they're going to equip you to change the lives around you. So it depends on what you want. Just giving you a fair warning. It's going to be a great summer. Hope you'll be with us. Um, we're going to see what God does. You know, who are we to limit what God can do, right? I cannot wait to see what he does this summer. It's going to be so much fun. Hey, so um, I, I, I want to start today as we hit the last message of the series by telling you something that you probably don't know about me. Now, maybe you know it about you. You might be the same as me in this. I, I don't know, but you can tell me later if you are. But I, I am a fiend when it comes to going to the movies in the sense that I don't want to be late for a movie ever unless it's like spontaneous. If my family's like, hey, dad, this movie's shown. We can, we, can, we can make it right now if we leave, like in the next 10 seconds. Like then we're like, let's be spontaneous. In the car, let's go, we're rolling. But, but if we're like, hey, let's go to a movie on Friday night as a family together, I don't want to be late. If we are late, I'm a bear. You've heard of mama bear? I'm a papa bear. And I don't want to be late to a movie. So I'm speeding the whole way there. Like, get out of my way. And I'm going to a movie. Is you have, someone having a baby? No, I'm going to a movie. You know, I'm, I'm speeding the whole way there. I only slow down at one point, And that's when I get into the parking lot of the theater. And that's only slowing down enough so one of my kids can tuck and roll out the back seat to go out and get tickets for us so we don't have to wait in line. Right? I'm, I'm a fiend when it comes to going to the movies because I want to be there on time. And, and you know why, right? Because the beginning of any movie or the beginning of any story is critical. I don't want to miss it. You, 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 you learn about who the characters are. You learn some of their backstories. You're introduced to the trajectory of the storyline all in the beginning of a movie and you miss it. I'd rather stay home and go another day. But it's not just the beginning of a the movie. There's another part of the movie that's really, really important too. Not just the beginning, but also the the end, right? When everything comes together. When, when hopefully everything settles down, the dust settles, you see what happened, and hopefully, like, I'm a happy ending guy. Don't take me to a movie where it ends like I go out, like, that just, that, that stunk, right? I, I want to go to a happy, make me feel good walking out movie. If it doesn't have a pony, a castle, or a unicorn, I'm probably not going to see it, right? That was my motto for years because I, baby girls, I still use that excuse and drag them to movies. But, but the reality is um, the ending of a movie is absolutely critical because it, it kind of wraps things up. And if it's a good movie or it's a good story, then it leaves you thinking further. Like, hey, I wonder if this would happen. Hey, I bet those characters would continue the story this way. Uh, and, and you might even think, I hope there's a sequel to that story. How many of you, how many of you saw the movie when it came out, The Hobbit? Any Hobbit fans? I, I know Michael is like super um, Hobbit fan. He's, he's probably out there dancing right now. Uh, but I remember when it came out, and this will blow your mind. I'm thinking about The Hobbit this week and I'm working on this message. And I'm thinking, yeah, The Hobbit came out like four or five years ago, 2012. 
just to, just to give you, like, to bring you back to speed and reality, 2012, when The Hobbit came out. And we were, like, pretty big fans, and my daughter, my oldest daughter, McKenna, uh, she was in eighth grade at the time. She and I had uh, been, you know, read the book several times, and we really wanted to go see, when we heard the movie, we were going to see the movie. And so Marsha and I, my wife and I, we decided that I could take our daughter McKenna to the premiere of the movie, like, the, the Thursday night, school night, late night, you know, starts at 10 or 10.30. We won't get home until midnight 30, maybe 1 o'clock. Still have to go to school the next day, but let's go do this. And she's like super excited. And, and so we got, we got uh, all of our stuff ready to go, and we got to the movie theater early. So we got our popcorn and our drinks, and we're sitting there ready to go. We watched the movie, and we, you know, we've, we've been through the book so many times. We know the story so well. And the movie goes through about a third of the storyline, and the movie stopped. And the lights came on. And I'm like, whoa. And everybody was getting up, and they're walking out to the lobby. So we get up, we walk out to the lobby. I looked at my watch. It's like 12.15. I thought, man, it must be an intermission. Uh, we're going to be way later than I thought. And I started texting Marsha, like, hey, we're good. she's not going to school tomorrow. We're just a third of the way through, and it's just 12.15. And I, and I thought, this is, a, this is so exciting. Let's get more popcorn, get more Diet Coke. And, and I asked one of the attendants, like, like, how long is the intermission? She's like, it's not an intermission. The movie's over. I said, it's, it's not over. I've read the book a dozen times. It's, it, we're a third of the way through the story. She's like, yeah, they made three movies out of one book, dude. Come on. Like, what? Three? There are three parts? Of it? Like, three different ones? Yeah, the next one comes out like in two years. Two years? I won't even remember the storyline in two years. Come on. A crappy ending, right? But, but great, because I've got six hours of just two hours of watching the whole, the whole trilogy now. Um, but uh, the, the beginning of a movie... And the ending of a movie or, or story is really, really important. They set you up for what's important at the beginning and where it can t continue to, to go. The beginning and the ending of the movie. Unless, unless it's Hallmark. Let's just be honest, right? You can miss the whole beginning. You can even miss the whole ending. In fact, you can take any 15-minute segment in the middle, watch that, and you can write the whole beginning and ending just like they did. Right? Let's just call it what it is. Hallmark. I love Hallmark, but you know every movie um, by heart. But unless it's Hallmark, every other story, every other storyline, you got to pay attention to the beginning and to the end. They are the most important parts of the story. And today... We're going to do that very thing. We're going to hone our focus on the beginning and the ending of what I believe. I kind of geek out over this story. I think the greatest, one of the greatest stories ever written in the history of the world. And it's called The Acts of the Apostles. It's a book in your Bible in the New Testament. It's, it's a book that, that has a whole bunch of great things happening in it, but it's the beginning and the ending that I want us to absolutely hone our focus on this morning. Um, and you better believe, you better believe there's a sequel to it. We'll get to that at the end. But the story is called The Acts of the Apostles, and we just normally call it the book of Acts. And the reason it's so important is because it chronicles the story. It tells us the storyline and the main characters of the life of the early church. Like, we saw some of that the last number of weeks, right? We talked about 
Uh, we talked about Philip, the evangelist, going out of Jerusalem when the persecution was so great, and, and he takes the good news of the gospel of Jesus, and he shares it with all these people um, all around the, 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 uh, the known world, and that was great. That was, that's in the book of Acts, and we also looked last week at Peter, the apostle Peter, when he, he left Jerusalem, and he traveled, and when we went with him up the Mediterranean coast, and he ended up at a guy's house named Cornelius, a Roman commander in the Roman army. He's not Jewish. He's purely Gentile, you know, non-Jew. And, and Peter shared the good news with Cornelius and his family and his friends. And we just saw God begin to open up the gospel to the whole world. Like everybody, like everyone, everywhere, every day, everybody has access to the good news of Jesus. And then there was this, after that happened, there was this explosive growth of the news of Jesus all over the known world. And it's the book of Acts that chronicles that for us. And the book of Acts is really, in itself, a sequel. I don't know if you knew that or not. But it is a second part to a first part. It was written by a man named Luke. Now, Luke was not one of the apostles, but he knew many of the apostles. Uh, Luke was a physician-turned-investigative journalist. And we don't know why he did that. We don't know why he recorded what he recorded. It could have been just a personal quest. Or maybe, maybe it was because there was a rich benefactor who wanted to know the whole story and hired him, because he knew he would be good at it, to write what he wrote. So either way, he wrote two books for us. And, and the first one he wrote was this biography of the life of Jesus. Now, let me put this in perspective. The only people... In that, in that whole season of life, the only people in that culture who were having their lives written about were the wealthy and the royalty. Wealthy and royalty. Because it was so expensive to write anything, especially the storyline of a person's life. And so very few people had their stories written. Those that did paid a lot of money, and, and they, they wanted their, their story told the way they wanted it told. They wanted people to, to remember them like they wanted to be remembered. Does that make sense? Like, hey, if I'm going to pay you a bunch of money, Jeff, to write my story, here's how you're writing it. I'm going to edit it. You better make me look good so that future generations look back at me and say, man, he was good. So, so very, very few, very far between were the storylines of anybody's uh, life, which, which should raise a question for all of us. Why in the world did Luke pick up a pen and ink and paper and write the storyline of a day laborer from the nowhere town of Nazareth. He's not rich, and he's not royal. He was a common, everyday guy. Why, why, would, why would Luke commit his life to writing Jesus' story? Well, there's a lot of story to write. I mean, let's be honest. There are all the miracles and the healings and the teachings. But let me just tell you that nobody was picking up their quill and ink and papyrus to write when all those things were happening. But something at the end of Jesus' life sparked it. There was something at the end of Jesus' life that made heads turn, that made the world stand up, and that made the world take notice. Something happened at the end of Jesus' life that was writing worthy. Jesus was arrested 
put on trial. He was, he was a criminal according to their law. He was crucified, and he was laid in a tomb. Not like most of the other criminals. When other criminals were, were crucified or executed, their bodies were thrown out on the trash heap to be eaten by wild animals, rot and decay, or, or, or to be burned. But they buried Jesus' body sealed in a tomb. But on the third day, he came back to life. Amen, right? And, and he didn't come back like in some creepy zombie way, right? He was, he was on the cross, fully dead, but he came back just like he said, fully alive, fully walking, fully talking, fully eating, fully living, fully alive. And, and something about that, man, that, that caught their attention. And Luke felt so compelled he said, I, I got to write this down. Now I'll write the miracles. Now I'll write the healings. Now I'll write his teaching. Because what just happened verified everything else. Without this, the resurrection, that would have been free. You know, that would have been just uh, maybe a footnote in someone's page. But now it becomes the page. Now it becomes the story. And so Luke sat down and he wrote about this amazing event, this amazing story of Jesus Come back to life. And that was his first book, this biography of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of Luke. And I don't know if you've ever read or paid attention to the, first, the very first line that Luke writes about Jesus in, in, in the Gospel. He, he begins the Gospel of Jesus this way. He says, many, many, many have taken up the, the, uh, the opportunity or tried to write about the story of Jesus. Many. Now, we don't know how many, many is, right? We know four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because we have those in our Bible. But four, does feel for like many to you? Maybe if you're having puppies, <laughs> four would be a lot. But many, like, I don't know how many was many. 10, 30, 80, 100? We don't know. But it was so many lives were convinced of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We're convinced that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he said he would do. So many lives were, were absolutely like, this is real and it's right and it's relevant and it's right now. And they, they, they said, we got to write about this so that future generations like you and me would know about it. So that's what they did. He, he wrote about, Luke wrote about this, and many others um, took it upon themselves to write about it. We have four for, them, for us in, in Scripture that God preserved for us, but this is why they wrote. And, it's, and, and from that, he launched then into a second book called the Book of Acts. And the Book of Acts is a biography of the early church. It covers about the first 30 years, that's it, 30 years of the church. And there's so much amazing stuff like in those 30 years, but again, the beginning and the end are what we're going to focus on this morning. So let me read to you the very beginning of the book of Acts. This is what Luke writes for us. He said, in my former book, Theophilus, he just told us two things, right? Number one, there's, there's, a, there's a former book, the gospel according to Luke. Like in my first book, my biography of Jesus, right? I wrote that one. But he also told us who he's writing this to. Some dude named Theophilus. Anybody here about to have a baby boy? There's a name by Theophilus. Do you know what his name means, by the way? Lover of God. Oh, now it's a pretty cool name, right? Friend of God, lover of God. He's writing to some guy named Theophilus, and we don't know, maybe, is it possible, probable, that Theophilus was bankrolling Luke's writing. Remember, it's expensive to write. 
It's expensive to write. So maybe Theophilus was the one who was paying for uh, all that Luke was doing. So, So Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And then he follows that by giving us like a recap of his earlier book. Not unlike you, like when, when you're watching your favorite show on Hulu or, or Prime or Netflix, and you're watching an episode of your favorite show, and it starts with this, previously on. Then, then they recap it, right? They show you like the four or five most important scenes from the previous episode or two. Now, let's be honest. You're probably binging. You don't need to recap. You've just watched those like, you know, in the last two hours. But um, what Luke does is he gives us a recap of his first book. Hey, this is what happened. This is what Jesus began to do and and to teach. But I want us to, to focus on is the word began. Began. Like, he didn't say, hey, I remember I told you what Jesus completed. Remember I told you what Jesus finished. He's like, hey, remember my former book? I told you what Jesus began. He's very intentional, Luke is, in saying Jesus started this. See, Luke, Luke had this great perspective. He was hanging out with the apostles. He traveled with Paul on some of Paul's missionary journeys. He is like a front row seat to the things that God is continuing to do even after Jesus was resurrected and ascended. Luke's like, man, I'm seeing stuff that I thought maybe would have ended with Jesus, but apparently it didn't. God is doing something even bigger now that he's launched us into something even greater than, and I'm watching it happen. So he says, hey, this is what Jesus began to do as if there's something more coming. Like Jesus wasn't the end. Jesus was the beginning. And so Luke gives us a recap of what Jesus began to do. And in that recap, he tells us again about Jesus' death, his, his burial, his resurrection, all the people who saw it, all the proof of it. And then Luke wrote about one of the times that when Jesus was alive again and showing himself to his followers. And he uses this occasion. He chose this one. He uses this occasion as a springboard to launch us into the trajectory of the rest of the book of Acts. This is all still the very beginning, the first few verses. In fact, this is verse 4. Here we go, verse 4. On one occasion, Luke writes, while Jesus was eating with them, his followers, so Jesus, he wasn't some ghost, he wasn't some just apparition, he wasn't some random like phantom, he was real, eating real food with real people. And Jesus gave them this command... Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit, right? This And this, this right here, friends, this is the spark in the powder keg that ignited everything that God was about to do. God promised, God just promised something so uniquely powerful that it sets the stage for everything that follows. But his listeners, like, around the table with him, like, I don't think we get it. Here's what they said. They said, Lord, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they're, they're like, we're just so glad to have you back. Like, we had you for three years, then you were gone. And Jesus, you got to know, when you were gone, when you were in the tomb and they, you know, you were gone, it got really crazy. Like Peter was talking about going back to fishing and Matthew didn't know what he was going to do. You know, what do you do when, once you're a tax collector and leave that? What do you do with that, right? We didn't know what we were going to do, but now that you're back, we're so glad you're back. Now, Jesus, you can finish the work you started 
And you're going to, you can restore the kingdom of Israel. Like, you can put us back up on top in the world again. And that's, that's as far as they could see. That's as much as they could grasp. But Jesus was like, oh, you still don't get it. There's so much more than that. And, and spoiler alert, he said, he, he said to them, I'm not going to finish what I started. You are. You're going to finish what I started. He said, this, the plan is way bigger than, than, than just what you've got in your mind. And so, so here's what he said to them. Verse 8, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Like the job is now yours. You will go out and you will tell people about me. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This isn't about Israel. This wasn't just about the Jews. This is about every nation, every language, every color, every dialect, every person. This is about the world. And this wasn't about just one generation 2,000 years ago. This is about every generation. And this is where Luke begins to push us out of our comfort zone, telling us that Jesus began something, but his followers have to finish it. We're to pick up where Jesus left off, right? So Jesus gave them this command, go tell others about me. The whole world, by the way, the whole world is supposed to be uh, hearing this good news. And that hasn't changed. Jesus never repealed that command. Jesus never said, wait, let me take that back. It's still laid right in front of you and me today. So that means this wasn't just their job back then. This is our job today. And listen, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but that's why what we just read is a game changer. Did you hear? Friends, did you hear what God just promised you? Did you hear what he said to us? I mean, his promise is so, so important. His promise should give you courage and confidence to do what's so hard to do. God promised you the power of his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit living inside of you. And here's what that means. It means at least these two things. Number one, don't, don't miss these, these two things. Number one, there's this internal impact of the Holy Spirit living in you. Where God says to you, the Holy Spirit reminds you who you are. By reminding you whose you are. Holy Spirit says to you, you are loved. You are valued. You are important. You are amazing. You are a mess, but you're mine right? Your mind, and, and what this does, it reminds you of who you are. The Holy Spirit reminds you that, that who, who God is and who you are, and your identity is in Jesus because he is now inside of you. The Holy Spirit reminds you of this. That's the internal part. But then there's this also this external part where he gives you power, he gives you power to go and tell other people about him. And here's why this is so important. If I'm wrong, you can tell me afterwards. Just email me. If this makes you mad, just email me. Curry at. All right? If left up to you, if left up to your own courage and your own willpower and your own design and your own devices, you won't do this. And you know it's true. I mean, how many times 
Have you been, you know, at coffee with a friend, walking in the neighborhood with, with, with a neighbor, sitting with your family, talking to your parent, having a serious conversation with your child, maybe someone on the soccer or wherever and whoever, and you're right on the edge, and, and we talked about this last week, you're right on the edge, you're about to tell them, you know what they're saying, you, you know they need Jesus, you're about to tell them about Jesus, but at the last millisecond, for whatever reason, you shrink back. Because you know, if you cross that line, there's no going back. And from that moment on, you'll be the weird guy. You'll be the crazy fanatic lady down in accounting. You'll be the weird kid at school. And if it's up to you, well, you'd rather not go there. But as a follower of Jesus, you don't have the option that's why God gives us his power. That's why his promise is so important. When you, listen, when you share Jesus with somebody, I want you to really, really, really understand this. This, this is what, I'm going to explain to you why it's so hard. When you share Jesus with somebody, and I'm not talking about, well, if they just watch me, I'll just live out my faith. How many people have you won to Jesus by the way you live? That's what I thought. <laughs> Honestly, if people watch the way you and I live, they're not coming to Jesus, right? We have to tell. How can they know if they've not heard? Scripture says. We have to tell them about it. When you tell people about Jesus, you are taking part in something that is supernatural. Because God is using you to change someone's life for eternity. And that's supernatural. And here's one thing I'm learning more and more about the supernatural. The supernatural never feels natural. That's why it's so hard. That's why it's so scary. It's like, oh, this, this doesn't feel like natural. Of course it's not natural. You're not supernatural. But God is. That's why God gives you his spirit inside of you. He's saying, hey, I know, I know I've assigned you this task. It's really big. It's supernatural. You don't, you, you can't do it on your own. So let me give you my supernatural power inside of you so you can do the supernatural that I'm asking you to do. That's why this promise is so absolutely vital. And don't forget, we talked about this last week. We said, hey, remember, God works ahead of you to change lives around you. He's already at work. Now, will there be people who reject him and reject you when you tell them? Absolutely. Sorry to hear that, but yeah, they will. I'm, I'm, it breaks my heart. But there are other people around you. There are other people around you who God's been working, and they've been letting their hearts be softened. They don't know him yet, but they're getting ready to know him, and they're watching you, and they're just waiting for you to tell them what you know about Jesus. So God gives you his Holy Spirit to let you do that. And, and listen, I, I, know, I know it's hard, but when he gives you his power, you've ha- you have the courage and the confidence like, to embrace the 30 seconds of awkward. Because that's what it is, right? If you've ever tried that, it's, it's like 30 seconds of awkward. Especially the first few times. But when you remember, God has given you his spirit to do this. And you just, in obedience, you step up, step in, open your mouth, and you begin, and God takes over. You're going to see lives changed in your family, in your friends, on your team, in your neighborhood. This is what happens. But let me tell you this. It's not just about you. This is about us. 
This is about us. Church is a team sport. Now, God will use you individually. This, I don't want you to hide behind the us part. This is you individually also. Like, you, you have a backstory, right? And you have, you have messes and mistakes and you have blessings and, and talents and gifts. God wants to take all of that of you, your storyline, and fill you with his power, with his Holy Spirit, so that you can go out and do this individually. But church is a team sport. There's something that God does uniquely when the people of God begin to act together. Because we all have backstories. We all have our, our, our messes and our mistakes and our gifts and our talents. So let me read to you what God is doing. This comes from um, Paul, and he writes it this way. He says, and in him, in Jesus, you too are being built together. Like all of us are being built together as his followers to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. To become a dwelling. Like, he's not just here on vacation. He resides in his people. And here's what he does. He takes all of our backstories, all of our, all of our trophies and tears and our greats and our grimies, all of our gifts and all of our talents. God takes all of our stories and he builds us together into something bigger and better than we are by ourselves. He builds us into something amazing, into something that is, that is useful to him. And once he, and he's building us, then he, he dumps himself into us collectively. He fills us with his Holy Spirit, with himself. And when he does that, friends, we become the most powerful force in the world. And all of a sudden, we're not just changing individual lives. We're changing families and neighborhoods. We're changing communities and regions and states and countries, nations, and the world. Listen, God doesn't just want us to plant a church at Grace Collective. He wants us to plant a culture, a culture that spreads and grows and keeps spreading and keeps growing and keeps covering. That's what the early church did. They just stepped up and they stepped in when God commanded them to do this amazing thing and then he equipped them to do it and they just showed up and told people what they knew about Jesus and then God would take over and they literally changed the world. Listen, even non, even non-religious historians today refer to this as one of history's greatest mysteries. How does, how does some little splinter group of, a, of an already, you know, minority demographic become the most prolific movement the world has ever seen? How does, how does some little sidebar sect of this monotheistic group that always kept to themselves, living in a very polytheistic world, how do they outlast everyone else around them? How do they grow in the middle of an empire? Like, let's give some props to Rome. Rome was an amazing empire. They were, they were the strongest empire in the world. Their leaders were so revered. They were called gods, we'll call it little g, gods. And even with all of their might and power, they used it all to stamp out this movement called Christianity. And yet here we are. And where are they? God's plan doesn't fail. He's chosen to use you and me to spread the good news about Jesus. I mean, I find this, this interesting. 
People in that day and culture thought the Roman Empire would be forever. And that the Christian faith would be very short-lived. But here we are. And I think it's very comical. And we've, I think we've said this before. But I find it interesting and funny that parents today name their children after people of the Christian faith. David, Luke, Mark, Priscilla, Lydia, Mary, Peter, Paul. And we name our dogs Maximus and Caesar. Don't you love that? Like, how, but how did this ever happen? This should never have happened on paper. There's no way this should have ever happened. But here's how it happened. Faithful followers of Jesus heard the command, decided to do what Jesus commanded. God filled them with his power, and they changed the world. And all of that, all that we just talked about comes from the very beginning of the story we call Acts. The story of the church. It all started with God giving us His power through His Holy Spirit. And that's the beginning. Now, we spent 98% like of our time on the beginning, but God just hit the end really fast because it's absolutely crucially important. Here's the end. Let's jump to the end for just a moment. Um, Luke is still writing, but you're going to hear a quote, and the person speaking is Paul, the missionary, the greatest church planner the world has ever known. Uh, and Paul is a prisoner in Rome because of his faith. So he's been sent to Rome to go before the greatest, most powerful, you know, emperor in the world. And Paul's under house arrest in Rome. And he's been under house arrest. He can't go anywhere, but people are coming to him. And he's been inviting in. People come to see him. A lot of Jews in Rome came to see him. And he's arguing with them, trying to convince them that Jesus is right and real and relevant for them. Like, hey, look at the scriptures. He fulfills all the prophecies. And some of the Jews said, yeah, I see that now. But a lot of the Jews are like, no, we don't get it. We're, 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 we're against you. And so this is what Luke records Paul saying to those Jews who didn't, didn't want what he was offering. Paul said, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation, the good news of Jesus, has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Like, hey, you can take it or leave it, but we're spreading it further than just y'all. And they're listening. The Gentiles were getting it. And then Luke closes with these two sentences. He says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, under, he was under house arrest, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's the ending of Luke's story. Paul won people to Jesus even when he was a prisoner. Listen, when he was a prisoner under a house arrest, he was chained to a Roman soldier, a Roman guard. And Paul's like, cool, captive audience. All right? Paul won them to Jesus. Hey, next shift, come on in. Win you to Jesus. Next shift, win. he's winning the, the palace guard to Jesus. He's winning the palace staff to Jesus. And all the people came to him. He's winning people in Rome, in the very heart of the city, of the empire that was trying to crush them. Paul's winning people to Jesus. And he does, he does so with boldness and without hindrance. I, I like to say it like this, with unhindered boldness. And that's what God's looking for. That's what God empowers us to be and to do. That's what should define us as his church, telling people about Jesus with unhindered boldness, to be fearless 
and courageous and daring and risky because we trust that God has given us his power to do it because the people around us need Jesus. And again, that's where Luke ends his story. But it's not where God ends his story. Acts, the book of Acts, may end with chapter 28. But you and I, church, we're Acts 29. And we're Acts 30. And we're Acts 31. You and I are the sequel. See, the book of Acts, it's not an ending. It's a beginning. It's not a landing. It's a launching. And that's us. The early church was remarkable. I mean, they just were remarkable. But no more remarkable than we can be today. Because we've got the same storyline. We have the same power. We have the same opportunity. People all around us who need to know Jesus. So maybe it's time for you to start trusting him more. Maybe it's time. Wouldn't it be great if you could, the next time you're at the threshold and you're about to tell someone about Jesus and your knees get a little shaky and your stomach gets a little churny, your throat gets a little dry, but you say, but I remember... God gave me his power to do this very thing. I'm going to embrace 30 seconds of awkward. I'm going to come out and I'm going to say, you need to know Jesus. And you just tell them your story. You know Jesus. You know what Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what he's done for you. And you know what he can do for them. This is the story of Jesus, the good news. We're going to spend all summer kind of digging into it more more of how to do it and where to do it and why and when to do it, it's going to be a blast. But for right now, maybe just spend some time in prayer. God, I'm ready. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of shrinking back. I'm ready to tell somebody. And you, right now, you could think of this somebody. You can think of the some buddies in your sphere who need to know Jesus. What do you say we do at church? Let's be a people of unhindered boldness. Let me pray for us. So Jesus, the, the task is big and great and gnarly and scary, but you're bigger and better and stronger and you're holy. And you said that you take up residence in us so that we can use our mouths to proclaim you. Lord, this is our job. And we just confess to you, we're not really good at it yet, but we want to be. And I pray for anybody today, Jesus, number one, who's wavering just to be in relationship with you. God, maybe, maybe they grew up knowing you, but they've had a bad church experience or, or had a different perspective of you, and their, their hand is on the knob. They're about ready to exit, but no one else even knows it, but you know it. I pray that today that this would be bold enough of a message to tell them they are loved they are not forgotten and they have purpose and meaning and value in you, Jesus. I pray for those who never knew you, who never grew up hearing your name, who were never introduced to you by anybody, who've been navigating life without you. God, that, that can end. That life stinks. But your life is glory. And what you offer us is so much more and higher and better and harder and deeper. I pray that today they would be brave enough to take one step towards you. Just one step closer, Jesus, to you. And Lord, I pray finally for us who are following you and we want to say, I'm in. 
But to be honest, most days we've been opting out. But no more. Jesus, make us brave enough, courageous enough, just crazy enough, and passionate enough to take the step to begin counting on you living in us. We'll step in, we'll tell people what we know, and let you take over. And we'll watch the world around us begin to change. Jesus, help us to do this. We pray this all in your holy name. Amen. Hey, we're going to sing one more song. And as we do, it's going to touch on what we just talked about, about making your life uh, about telling others about Jesus and letting him lead you into their lives. So maybe today is the day you need to come to this altar and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm done being afraid. I want to be brave and courageous, unhindered boldness. If you need to come for any reason this morning, the altar is wide open for you. Let's stand as we sing. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.